When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome in to Outkick the Show. I'm your fearless leader, Clay Travis. It is the Wednesday edition of the program. Hope all of you are having fantastic days wherever you may be. I am hopping a late night flight heading to Austin, Texas for Alabama, Texas over the weekend. We'll be doing the Clay and Buck Show Thursday and Friday from down in Austin. It is one of many cities where we have the number one radio show in the country. Look forward to meeting a lot of you Alabama fans and University of Texas fans, plus many just sports fans in general and fans, of course, of Sanity who are OutKick fans. Uh, look forward to hanging out with all of you. We got a lot to dive into today. I'm going to give you all my college football gambling picks. If you don't have your pencil out, you don't have your pen ready, you're in luck. They are up on OutKick, so you can easily go to OutKick.com and check out all of my gambling picks for the week. We went 9-2 and two last week. Uh, we'll hopefully go 12-0 and 0 this week. There are 12 winners up for you right now at outkick.com. I will get to those in a few moments. But I want to start right off the top here. The story that a Duke women's volleyball player had had racial slurs hurled at her during a volleyball game between BYU and Duke in Provo, Utah, is falling completely apart. Uh, I've been asking for some days now, just give me one piece of corroborating evidence. There were over 5,000 people at this volleyball match. If somebody was screaming racial slurs, there would be a video, there would be audio, there would be a scintilla of corroborating evidence for this Duke volleyball player's claim that someone was yelling racial slurs at her. Instead, zero. Uh, The uh, investigation has occurred from the BYU police. Uh, The investigation has occurred by campus newspapers. Everybody ran with the allegation. Nobody actually required any corroborating evidence that this had ever occurred. And you would think people maybe would start to ask the question, well, it was a lie with Jussie Smollett. It was a lie with, uh, with Bubba Wallace. Remember the noose in, the, in his garage that the FBI investigated and found out, hey, it was just a pull rope that had been there for a couple of years, uh, despite the fact that a lot of people still don't know that truth. It was a lie when Michael Bennett said the Las Vegas police racially profiled him. That evidence came out just before the Las Vegas shooting, so a lot of people completely forgot about that. It was a lie when LeBron James said a racial slur had been written on his gate at his Brentwood, California. That's a suburb in the Los Angeles area. The L.A. police immediately showed up, investigated, determined that no crime had occurred, wrote about it at OutKick, everybody pretended that it happened, nobody actually followed up to see that it was a total lie, okay? It appears that this lie from Duke is 
what I said, a lie, okay? If corroborating evidence comes out, we'll discuss it, we'll share it. But a lot of people are finally waking up and saying, wait a minute, this story was treated as fact. Nobody actually did an investigation. And the reason why no one wants to question a story like this is because people are afraid of being attacked for merely asking questions, for merely saying, hey, you want me to react to this allegation? Can we have some corroborating evidence at all that it existed? There was a special needs kid who was uh, kicked out of the Duke-BYU game, but it wasn't for using any racial slurs at all. It was because Duke uh, complained about his behavior. The police officers, they have video. This, This special needs kid never did anything. Okay, that's the person who got kicked out of the BYU-Duke game that everybody tried to pretend was screaming racial slurs. Let me be clear about this. Don't ever use a racial slur, right? Certainly don't scream a racial slur in a public setting. But just think about this, and we talked about it someone Clay and Buck. The number one way to ensure that you are not able to work, that you get kicked out of school, that your life basically unravels entirely around you is by using a racial slur. You would be far better off to get multiple DUIs than to use a racial slur on video, right? So this idea that someone would be screaming a racial slur is unlikely, but also the number one way to become a star in the woke media is to catch somebody using a racial slur and call them out to make yourself the good guy and get them in trouble. Nobody at BUI caught BU BYU, sorry, caught anybody using a racial slur. It didn't happen. There's no corroborating evidence of it. Okay. And you would think, as I said yesterday, that Duke, which ended its men's lacrosse program over a made-up lie, would actually be one of the first universities to require that there be some sort of corroborating evidence before they threw BYU under the bus. But of course, they didn't. Okay, So, credit to the South Carolina legislature, which has written a letter. Okay, The fallout of this went all the way across the country to South Carolina, where Dawn Staley, the women's basketball coach there, canceled a home-and-home series that was scheduled to begin this year with BYU over what appears to be a Jussie Smollett-like fake news story about the use of a racial slur. So not only has BYU been overwhelmingly maligned and attacked and denigrated, the university as a whole, for this alleged incident of which there is no corroborating evidence, Not only has that occurred, but now South Carolina is canceling basketball games over this. So credit to the South Carolina legislature. Some members of that legislature wrote a letter to the University of South Carolina addressed to both Dawn Staley and to the president of the university saying, why are you making this choice to cancel this game against BYU, this series, when there is virtually no evidence whatsoever that it has actually taken place, this racial slur upon which you're basing your decision, okay? Now, we've written all about this. 
I've talked about it at OutKick. I don't run and hide from asking difficult questions or what people might say about me. Now, that's one reason we have the massive audience that we do. I've got the biggest radio show in the country, one of the biggest audio shows in the country, maybe the biggest if you combine podcast downloads and radio audience. I regularly get to go on Fox News, which is the most popular television network. I obviously am on Big Fox. I'm on Fox Sports. And then we're having our best month ever yet again at OutKick as the audience continues to skyrocket. So I'm in a good spot. I don't have to work tomorrow if I don't want to. I could be like, hey, you know what? Peace out. I'm retiring. I've got enough money to be able to live on for the rest of my life. It's good to be a rich guy now. And what that does is to the extent that I ever worried before about being able to say exactly what I think, Now, people can't cancel me. I can't be canceled because what are they going to do? Take away my ability to talk on the radio? Take away my ability to write on the internet? Take away my ability uh, to, 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 to talk on television or whatever it else is? I'm always going to have the audience that is reliant, uh, that relies on me and the audience that we've built over, you know, what, 18 years of being a public figure, whatever it is, Okay. But I understand why there's relatively few people who are willing to ask the questions that I'm asking. Because if you don't immediately accept that people like Jesse Smollett and Michael Bennett and Bubba Wallace and LeBron James and now this Duke women's volleyball player are telling the truth, then they attack you and say that it is racist of you to ask for there to be corroborating evidence of an incident like this, even though that is the very foundation of how our our American judicial system works. You don't get to just make an allegation against somebody and then everybody just presume that it's true without there being any corroborating evidence that it happened. Well, USA Today is furious that someone like me would be asking questions on behalf of a lot of people at BYU who frankly are terrified to speak out. And that I would say, hey, is there any corroborating evidence at all? So I got called in an editorial in the USA Today, today, a right-wing extremist. Now, first of all, that I probably should just write, uh, get right-wing extremist t-shirts and start selling them on OutKick and start wearing it around because you probably sell a ton of them. Whatever you want to call me, it doesn't work on me because every attack on me just makes the audience that I already have love me that much more. And frankly, people who don't know me are like, well, who's this guy? I need to go check him out. And maybe 70% of those people are going to be like, I hate him. He's a right-wing extremist. 30, 40% of those people are going to say, you know what? This guy, Clay Travis, he says a lot of things that make sense. And then the audience just keeps growing, Okay. There's no such thing as bad publicity as long as you aren't facing jail time. Good lesson for life for anybody in media, okay? But if you are just starting out or if you are just hanging on to a job, fear is very powerful. Many people out there, if they got called a right-wing extremist or racist or if there was some bad thing said about them in an article online, they would be terrified that they're not going to be able to keep their job, especially in the woke sports media, where 
huge percentages of people who work in sports, coaches, players, media, agree with everything that we write at OutKick. But they are terrified to admit it publicly because they are afraid of losing their own jobs. So don't mistake what is going on here. I'm getting attacked because they want to make an example of me to try to scare other people into actually asking these same kind of questions. Because I'm good, right? I'm a made man. I can throw up the deuces like I said. I'm rich. I can ride off into the sunset. I don't have to work anymore. I do this because I love it, not because I have to do it to feed my family. But if you have to have a job to feed your family or make your mortgage, are you going to decide to investigate whether this BYU story is Jussie Smollett 2.0 on a volleyball court, which I think it is? Or are you going to meekly pretend that you agree that this is the worst thing that could ever happen? Maybe you favorite or retweet some colleague who is Woke's article and just keep your head down and hope that nobody notices you because you're trying to keep your job and you don't want to upset people who would try to get you fired for your opinion. And this is what's going on in society writ large. A lot of people out there, like, man, I just want to pay, help pay for my kid's college. Man, I just want to pay my mortgage. Man, I just want to pay my car. These attacks are influential on them. And many of you watching and listening to me right now are in that camp too, even if you don't work in media. How often have you started to write a tweet and deleted it? How many times have you started to say something on Facebook or Instagram or even been concerned about who you follow or what you like? Because these people will go through your likes and say, oh my goodness, six years ago, this guy liked something that Clay Travis said. He is a secret right-wing extremist undercover. That's what they are going to say about you. And so they try to come after people like me, not necessarily because they're going to land any punches on me, because my audience is bigger, but they want to send the message that if you even have the same opinions as Clay Travis, we will come after you too. You better shut up and you better take the woke agenda and you better claim that you support it even if you don't. That's how totalitarian regimes work. It's not that everybody agrees with the dictator. It's not that everybody agrees with the preferred narrative. It's that if you challenge any aspect of that narrative, you are a threat to the woke ideology and they will come for you. And that's what they're trying to do. And so, I kind of enjoy it, right? I've been getting attacked my whole career. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I'm the kind of guy who could be in a gym and everybody's cheering for me. I've always been the, you know, Reggie Miller. I would rather have everybody angry and jeering at me. I'd rather make the shot or score the touchdown that shuts everybody up in the whole stadium. So some people are fueled by praise. They love to have nice things said about them. I'm kind of fueled by hate. I love it. I enjoy the fact that I'm almost always right and that my critics are furious about why I am so successful, right? 
Why do you think I enjoy letting everybody know how rich I am? Ah, it's nice to be rich, but really I love to brag about how rich I am because my critics are mostly poor failures, and they are getting dunked on every single day by your boy, all balls in the face style. And ultimately, that's what they resent, that they aren't as good at their jobs as I am at mine. Right-wing extremist Clay Travis is dominating them. And the reason I'm dominating them is because I'm a right-wing extremist and I'm a huge threat to the country. And oh my God, if people agree with Clay Travis, you know what they might do? They might want a secure border. They might want a lower crime rate. They might want people judged on the content of their character as opposed to the color of their skin. They might want everyone equal in the eyes of the law, whether they're white, black, Asian, Hispanic, gay, or straight. They might want equal justice. They might want schools open. They might not want to wear masks. They might not want the government mandating them that they get a useless COVID shot. And they might think that men shouldn't compete against women. That's what makes me a right-wing extremist. And probably many of you as well. Hey, Clay Travis here. We'll be right back. But first, here's a word. Um, All right, a bunch of other things. Uh, California. Well, let me go to this. This is good news. The Atlanta Braves have caught the New York Mets. If you are a Mets fan, you are nervous. The Mets are now tied with the Atlanta Braves, or at least they were this morning. I think the Mets have a doubleheader today. Um, And they had a, the Mets did a 10 and a half game lead over the Braves on June the 1st. And I thought this was pretty fascinating when you actually break it down. The Braves have had the best record in baseball since June 1st. They've gone 61 and 24. That is a scorching hot record, one game better than the Dodgers, who were the best team in baseball so far this year. The Mets haven't even been that bad. They've been 50 and 34 since June 1st when they had that 10 and a half uh, game lead. But I do think uh, that that is an incredible accomplishment that we have gotten to this point in the first place. Uh, so, congratulations to the Braves. 26 games to go, three of them in Atlanta between the Braves and the Mets. It feels like this race may well come down to the three game series in Atlanta. And I know that Mets fans, given how much the Braves have owned them, are super nervous now that the Braves have officially caught them. Uh, I'll get to my college football gambling picks in a moment. I want to hit you with a couple other things. California's got rolling blackouts. I was watching the Braves play last night against the A's out in Oakland, and I thought to myself, are they going to have to shut down the lights in the stadium because they can't keep the lights on? I just want everybody out there to think about this. Are you living in a state that is well-run if they can't keep the electricity on. This is common in third-world countries. There's an overload of the power demand, and they have to shut down some areas that are receiving power because they don't have enough supply. If you were sitting in the darkness in California, if you had air conditioning and suddenly it went off, even though you set it to 78 degrees, and even though you'd agreed not to use major appliances, and even though you were not charging your electric vehicle, as you sat there in the baking darkness, 
Did any part of your brain think to yourself, this is not a well-run state? The fifth largest economy in the world, California, they can't keep the lights on for their people. And you know what? It's pretty hot down in Florida. Pretty hot down in Florida. I don't ever remember a necessity of rolling blackouts in the state of Florida. If I had happened, I'm sure that we would have heard about it a ton because they would have blamed Ron DeSantis for it with every fiber of their being, the governor of Florida. Way hotter in Florida on average during the summer than it is in California, yet the state of Florida, to my knowledge, never has had an electrical grid supply issue. So I just am asking you, if you are a reasonable person in California right now, if you are sitting in the dank darkness in your own sweat, unable to use basic electricity, does any part of your brain think, maybe I'm making poor political decisions? Because don't buy into this argument of, well, the reason we have to do this is climate change. No, it's been hot in California a lot. To my knowledge, rolling blackouts in California because the electric grid can't keep up with supply is a new part of the Green New Deal. It's because Democrats are awful at management. Cities, states, the longer they have been blue, the worse run they are. This is a legacy of Democrats not understanding basic business or basic economics. Congratulations to Gavin Newsom. Your mother and father-in-law have already fled the state. They're in Florida where the electric grid works, where they don't have to wear masks, and where Ron DeSantis made the right decisions on COVID. Um, KG, KJP, Corinne Jean-Pierre, she is the spokesperson for the White House. Joe Biden has been on a kick saying that anybody who denies the results of an election is a fundamental threat to democracy itself. Interestingly, Corinne Jean-Pierre has questioned the results of at least two elections. She said Donald Trump's election in 2016 was illegitimate, that he stole the election. And she also said that Brian Kemp, elected governor in Georgia by over 50,000 votes in 2018, about to kick Stacey Abrams' ass again in 2022, that he had stolen the election in Georgia as well. And yesterday, Peter Ducey asked a great question. He said, if threatening democracy means questioning election results, how in the world can Democrats justify Corrine Jean-Pierre being the official spokesperson for Joe Biden? If threatening elections was really such a big deal, why in the world can they have an official spokesperson who is on record questioning 2016 and 2018? Fantastic question. Not well answered, by the way, by KJP. And if MAGA, whatever that means, if MAGA is an existential threat to American life, why are so many Democrats spending tens of millions of dollars to try to elect the most right-wing Donald Trump-supporting Republicans in elections? If it's truly a, the case that Trump represents the biggest threat to American democracy since the Nazis and since the Civil War, why would you be spending tens of millions of dollars to try to get his supporters on the ballot as winning elections? They're lying to you. They're lying to you about all of this. Fascism at its most basic level 
requires massive support. You don't become a fascist by being the party without congressional control and without White House control. Fascism requires populism, overwhelming nationalistic fervor that is a substantial majority in a country. That's not what Republicans are. And being America first is not being a fascist. Being in support of borders, being in support of low crime, being in support of federalism, being in the support of less governmental activity and more freedom, that's not fascism at all. Doesn't surprise me Joe Biden doesn't know what it is. Uh, The New York Times. New York Times is finally getting around to acknowledging that it makes no sense to have kids in masks. We were talking about this earlier on the show, uh, but if you actually look at the data points out there, um, and and this is uh, this is pretty entertaining. The New York Times is now acknowledging, after two years, that kids in Head Start programs who are still forced to wear masks, it is indefensible that these kids don't need to be wearing masks. And the New York Times is even pivoting on the idea that kids need to wear masks at all. This is from the New York Times today. Masks can make it more challenging for some children to develop early speech and reading skills, which are learned in part by observing mouths in movement according to research. This is a sentence from the New York Times, also something that I've been telling you for years. And while masks properly worn do offer virus protection, they have to throw that in there, Young children tend not to be severely affected by the coronavirus, even when unvaccinated. You know who that sounds like? Me. I've been telling you that for years based on the data. For many Head Start centers, I'm reading from the New York Times, the masking and vaccine rules make a difficult situation even more difficult. I'm telling you, and I'm going to continue to beat this drum, everything that I've been telling you about COVID, the shots, the policies, the masks, the shutdowns, the lockdowns, years from now, everyone is going to acknowledge what I have been telling you for the past two years. They're all going to come out and say it. They're all going to slowly acknowledge what I have been saying to you guys for years. The New York Times keeps tiptoeing up to it. John Fetterman is the Senate candidate in the state of Pennsylvania. John Fetterman is, for all of this obsession about Senate candidates, this election is going to be decided in Georgia, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Nevada, and Arizona. Senate. Those five states are battlegrounds. We'll see what happens in New Hampshire. There's the possibility other states end up in play. But those five are definitely going to be close. And I think New Hampshire is likely to be fairly close, too. But those five that I just named, Nevada, Arizona, Georgia, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, the worst candidate in those five states, Democrat or Republican, by far, is John Fetterman. John Fetterman in his 30s and 40s didn't have a job. His parents paid for his entire family to live. He bought his house for a dollar from his sister. He is a rich kid pretending to be working class, who has had virtually no jobs his entire life 
and has never been able to support his family based on his work. He has far left-wing beliefs, the likes of which are reflective in him saying that he agrees with Bernie Sanders on everything. All of that, anti-fracking, believes men should be able to compete against women in sports, doesn't believe in uh, life sentences, thinks murderers should be let out of prison, actually has, I believe, murderers working on his political campaign. All of that, okay, is radical left-wing and would make him what he is, the worst nominee in a battleground state this year for the Democrats or the Republicans. Worse than that, though, is, unfortunately for him, he had a stroke in May and has not put forward his health reports in an honest way. He's refusing to debate Dr. Oz. And I shared a clip with you yesterday. Maybe we can embed it into this discussion for when we share smaller clips of the show. John Fetterman can barely speak. The reason why he's refusing to debate Dr. Oz is not because he's necessarily afraid of the political positions he's adopted, although I think it's part of it. It's because he's not even healthy enough to be in a debate. Now, I hope he gets well. I hope for his family's sake that he recovers. But if you can't stand on a stage in a debate, how are you going to be a United States senator for six years? How are you going to be able to represent the people of Pennsylvania when you can't even speak, when you are recovering from a serious near-death stroke? And how do we know that you're even healthy enough? Do we need to put more weight on your shoulders and give you a very serious job? Or should you just go back home and get back as healthy as you can? See, Democrats don't care. They're trying to hide John Fetterman like they hid Joe Biden. He's the worst candidate in a major party election in the Senate this year, Democrat or Republican by far, based on his policies. But he's not even healthy enough to run. And now he's trying to blame people who are asking questions about his health. What sense does that make? Your health is a big part of whether or not you are going to be able to do a serious job. This is commonplace for all sorts of jobs. The Pittsburgh Steelers just drafted Kenny Pickett in the first round. Now, it looks like Mitch Trubisky is going to be starting for the Steelers week one. But if Kenny Pickett had had major health concerns, would the Steelers have drafted him in the first round? Of course not. That's not because they're biased against Kenny Pickett or drawing attention to his ill health. It would be because who the Steelers invest in is really important at the quarterback position. And they can't have a guy who's not healthy enough to play the position. That's why the NFL Combine exists. So if you're going to be more rigorous in the health of somebody who plays football, then you are someone who represents the whole state and is funded by taxpayers. How in the world is that being unfair to John Fetterman? Your fitness for the job, both mental and physical, is the essence of the job. If a quarterback had a broken hand and couldn't hold the football appropriately, 
they wouldn't get hired as the quarterback of the Pittsburgh Steelers or the Philadelphia Eagles for that matter. The essence of the job is your availability to do the job. John Fetterman is a radical left-wing Bernie Sanders clone, but he also isn't healthy enough to do the job. That's a bad combo. That's why Dr. Oz is going to win in Pennsylvania if people behave and vote in a semi-rational fashion. Uh, All right, gambling picks. Um, I am, uh, as always, trying to get you guys as rich as I possibly can. And last week, I got you pretty rich. Went very well. Uh, and, uh, And I appreciate all of you out there. Who, uh, who played along with the picks. And certainly I love that uh, respect the picks guy trounced fade the picks guy. But here are my 12 picks for all of you. I tweeted these out these, this morning. You can go find me at Clay Travis uh, on Twitter. You can also go look at, uh, at my Twitter feed and dive in there and make sure that you are able to find the best possible picks that I can give you. I went 9-2 and two last week. Here are the picks this week. I'm going to run through them fairly fast. Uh, I like Alabama minus 20.5 against Texas. I'll be at this game down in Austin. Look forward to meeting many of you. I think Bama is going to win big. South Carolina. I'm taking them plus the points against Arkansas. Uh, look, 8.5 is a substantial line. I think it's too high on the road in Fayetteville for the Gamecocks. I think Spencer Rattler might potentially play decent in that game. Uh, Tennessee. I've been burned many times believing that the Vols are back, but I think Tennessee is going to cover the six and a half at Pitt and hit the over 66 and a half here. Josh Heupel gets a top 25 win. Iowa State, Iowa. I'm taking Iowa and the over. I might be the only person other than Kirk Ferenz's wife who's taken Iowa and the over. I think Iowa, which won 7-3 to last weekend, two safeties and a field goal. Offense gets back in gear a little bit. This line has moved way too much. In the Cy-Hawk game, I'm taking the Hawkeyes and the, uh, and the over. I got Florida minus 5.5 against Kentucky. I think that Anthony Richardson is going to be tough to stop. I think they're going to be a decent amount of points scored. And I like Florida ultimately to get the win 35-21 over Kentucky. Southern Cal at Stanford, plus the nine and a half. Stanford has done pretty well against USC, nine and five straight up in the last 14. Nine and a half is a big number on the road. I think the Lincoln-Riley enthusiasm, a little bit exaggerated. I think that, uh, that Stanford gets the cover plus the nine and a half. Southern Miss plus the points against Miami. Trap game for Miami. Southern Miss coming off a four-overtime loss to Liberty. Uh, Miami wins big over Bethune-Cookman. They've got this game against Southern Miss. Next week, they're against a and I think it's a look-ahead game for the Hurricanes. Uh, Wake Forest-Vanderbilt, uh, the nerd bowl of the week, as it were. I'm going the over 65 and a half. And then I am taking the fighting Mike Leeches on the road, minus 10 and a half at Arizona. Intriguing matchup there. There is an argument to be had that Mississippi State is the second-best team in the SEC West. Love all of you. DBAP unless you need to SBAP. No shows Thursday or Friday because I'm going to be down in uh, Austin. I will be on Fox News Saturday morning, and I also will be on Big Noon kickoff on Fox as the lead-up to the uh, Alabama-Texas game 
put on your televisions, you'll see my bright, shiny, happy face, probably sweating quite a bit from Austin, Texas. Appreciate all of you. Thanks for your support uh, of OutKick. I am, as always, your favorite right-wing extremist. Clay Travis, out.